And that's what kind of YouTube are looking for. They want brand advertisers that run ads that don't get many clicks because then they keep everyone on the platform. And you're just playing that same game. You're saying, great, well, I'm going to create great content that has a small number of clicks, but most of those people turn into customers, but I'm going to build my brand awareness. I'm going to build my fame as a personal brand if you want to. And all of a sudden you don't have to play this game of saying, I'm going to crack YouTube, but it's going to take two years worth of organic content and I've got to post twice a week. Now you can probably create what, three to 10 videos or something, work out the right content that works really well for your customers, promote that. And you have the best of both worlds very quickly indeed. This is James Schramko. James Schramko here. Welcome back to my podcast. I'm today chatting with Tom Breeze. It's so good to have you back. It's great to be here, James. It feels like a while, but probably because I'm just racking up podcasts like there's no tomorrow. So I'm glad you were able to get yourself back on the show. Uh, Of course, we speak every couple of weeks anyway, so I feel like we're always talking. But today is kind of like, hey, Tom, do you mind if we just record while we chat? Because there's so much that I want to ask you on behalf of my own audience, of the people that I'm mentoring, my partners. And you've been kind enough to say, yeah, that's okay. We'll share it. Because you're so deep into the YouTube development and uh, marketing data, you're getting to see stuff that most people would only dream about. That's why we've titled this episode 974 as um, you know, most people are wrong about what they think about YouTube ads, because I believe you've made some discoveries that can really hold true to that point that over the course of this episode, we're going to talk about a few elements, especially what YouTube likes and what they don't like. We'll talk about how to fix things if they don't go as well as you would have liked. We'll talk about some of the things you're working on in the background that will change the way that people advertise. And I've seen this and experienced it for myself. So I'm absolutely confident about that. And then we'll do a reminder about your formula that you shared in previous episodes and at my event, potentially, that is worth repeating because it's a principle that if you embody is going to set you up for success. So if you are running YouTube ads, tune into this episode. If you're thinking that YouTube might be a decent platform to have a crack at in the future, listen to this episode. So first off, Tom, tell me about what are you working on these days? Because last time we spoke to you, you had your YouTube traffic agency. You were working with some really high profile clients. Many of them, of course, we can't mention their names and that's fine. Preserve their privacy. But you've been doing big volume. I also know you are often working on a performance basis. And this is very important. This means Tom only gets paid if he's any good and he can get the client a success. So you can't just get paid a retainer and then phone it in. In this case, he has to get the results or the client leaves. So I I really liked how good that makes you. And Mm -hmm. and coming from a performance-based background and having performance-based partnerships, Tom, I applaud you for that courage and being good enough to get that kind of situation. (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah. Some people think it's pretty crazy, but um, (laughs) it works out really well, which is good. We have like a, a real big value in the agency to be always pioneering and always looking to say, right, what is it that is going to be on the horizon? What do we need to be aware of? When do we take action on those things that we see that are coming up? And um, as we keep ahead of the field, it really gives us a huge benefit. So yeah, we're still doing that. Like the agency is going really well. That's kind of where our, our kind of a, a large part of our focus is still at viewability. And I suppose like with that in mind, as we do pioneer and we look for kind of what's coming up and what's YouTube doing, because there's so many changes on YouTube right now, but with the data we're seeing, with the number of accounts we're looking at, we kind of see this data. And there's one thing that happened about 18 months ago that we were like, wow, we'd never really realized it before. 
And it just takes days and days of just looking at data and trends of data and then the implications of that data as well. And it's meant that we've had quite a massive breakthrough in how we even look at the platform from the ground up. When we found the data, we were almost like, okay, this is going to change quite a lot of how we think about things. But then as, as we've worked upon it to try and take advantage of the changes, it's been quite a shift in the way that we even approach YouTube advertising as a whole. So it's um, hopefully I can unpack that today and, and talk it through. Would you say this is why a lot of the people who are trying to do YouTube ads themselves or if they're in an agency that doesn't do research and development or know about this, that they would find it a bit of a struggle? That maybe some of the golden era, the cheap and easy YouTube traffic is now getting a little more competitive and you know there's been inflation in the skills required to improve your results? Definitely. As with any platform, as time goes on, as more people flood into the ecosystem, the price is going to increase and it's going to get a bit more competitive. But un- unlike any other platform, YouTube is still a place where people want good content. Like the user wants to see good video and helpful video. YouTube knows that and advertisers are trying to pull people away from the platform to go and buy their products. But the problem is, is that with any other platform, if you look at something like Facebook, that's probably where most people begin their advertising journey. That is a platform whereby if you are trying to improve your performance on Facebook advertising, then you're looking at like, okay, you've got to create a great offer with good financials. But then you're looking to create ads that are focused on copy and focused on the best way in which you can persuade someone to leave the platform and come to your website. On YouTube, the data shows that's not the best way of doing it, which is odd, right? It's kind of, if you were to study some of the best copywriters of years gone by and understand their methodologies and understand what they're aiming to do, it just doesn't work for you on YouTube. And that's why things are a lot harder because people are being taught, like, go and get better at copy, go and create better ads. But no one really defines what a better ad actually is. And that's where, when we looked at the data, we're like, right, we're starting to change the way we look at what a better ad is. Like, how do we actually create a better ad for the business? Because it's not about getting people to click through to the site, (laughs) which is an odd thing to say. Even me as a direct response advertiser, I'm like, that still doesn't fully sit well with me. It's more that I just know that the data says, and I'm like, oh my word, and we need to shift the way we're thinking about things. So yeah, so people are being guided in such a way to say, you've just got to create better ads. And normally for most people, that's like, take a direct copy or direct response copy course. And how do we implement all of that and try and do the best we can to get people to click back to the website? And everyone always hears, it's all about the click, get people to click to the site. That's what the ad's designed to do. And that's going to hinder your performance on YouTube if you just focus on that. And I can unpack that. I can talk that through. And um, yeah, but that's kind of normally where people are getting it wrong. Yeah, I want to. I, I want to. There's a couple of things I want to ask you about that. So the point is YouTube doesn't like direct response ads. That's what I'm hearing. Precisely. This is where most people are wrong, right? So we're delivering on the promise of the title of this episode right up front. I'm wondering, is it because Facebook ads seem to be more interruption marketing? And is it to do with the intent of why people are on Facebook? Because the intent for someone on YouTube, I imagine, might be more focused. Like I know a lot of people, including myself, will go to YouTube to learn things. And so I might go there with a different intent. And is the idea not so much to interrupt them and take them away from whatever they're strongly intending to be there for, which I imagine for Facebook might be just to fill in time, but for YouTube, it might be a very specific purpose. Is it to harness that intent and then to develop it even further? Yes, I, th- I think there's a lot to unpack here because it's a difficult thing for me to clarify 
easily. So I'm hoping that you'll be able to guide me with this one, James. <laughs> well, you talk <laughs> and then I'll just ask you questions on behalf of the audience. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the user experience for when you go to YouTube, as you just said, is that someone goes there, they're wanting to mainly one of two things, either get educated on an area or get entertained yep. about something. So we're going to YouTube for primarily those two reasons. And YouTube know that. And from the outset, YouTube have always known that the platform is going to be built by the content creators. So they have this reward for content creators where they give a lot of revenue to the creators. That's where you get all the kind of people making Mr. Beast. Like Mr. Beast made what? Yeah. It made 52 million last year, I think it was. I think even more than that. Yeah. And he's been offered a billion or more for one of his channels. Like it's serious income. Yeah. And that's why all the kids these days, they don't want to be a policeman or a fireman. They want to be a YouTube creator. They want to be a YouTuber, yeah. So like, and just, I mean, I want to get this out of the way. I, I forgot to sort of set this up before, but it's very important. Is YouTube worth worrying about at all? Like, I know it's a, it seems like a silly question, but I mean, we're presupposing that it is, but is that still true? Is it still just getting more and more powerful? It's getting bigger and better all the time. Yeah. yeah. There's so many changes happening right now as I speak. I'm currently writing a book around this and it's almost, by the time we started writing the book to where we're at now, I'm like, okay, we have to start thinking about this differently again. I don't envy you. I, I would hate to be writing. I mean, I'm writing two books at the moment. They're both written, but one's around memberships, but the whole platform that I wanted to talk about, we've changed the name of it and I'm now using it. So I'm learning a lot more about it. I didn't feel comfortable publishing until that happened, mm. but I know I'll have to just get in there and publish it at some point and, and just deal with it. Not looking forward to having to update it or whatever. So I wanted to get everything sorted as much as possible. But yeah, yeah trying to write books for platforms would be difficult. I mean, like imagine if you'd published a book on Twitter a week before Elon Musk took it over and got rid of most of the team <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, and changed the way it worked. Like it would have been completely made redundant. Well, that's, so that's a great comparison as well, because like the way that YouTube works is that, as, as we mentioned, like the content creators are the ones that are building the platform. You wouldn't go there unless the content creators are there. YouTube know that. They built an ecosystem whereby the content creators can make a lot of money. And the more money they make, the better content they tend to create. And so there's a really good relationship between YouTube and the content creator. But there's a third wheel to that relationship whereby in order to get money in for YouTube to be able to be paid, as well as the content creators to be paid, then the third wheel is the advertiser. And they've all got kind of different intentions. So YouTube wants to keep people on the platform because it's a great place to be educated and be entertained. And then YouTube can show them ads and make their money. And then content creators are getting benefit from that because if ads run on their content, then they get paid. So the ecosystem's working so far, but then the advertiser's saying, well, hang on a second, I want people to come off the site and come and buy my products. And YouTube's like, well, hang on a second, we don't like that bit. We don't people like users leaving this platform. Because it'd be a downward spiral, wouldn't it? Precisely. We'd run the ads, they'd go off the platform, then the, we can't sell the ads, and then you go and buy TikTok ads, and then it all finishes. Yeah. So it, I can see how that makes sense. So what kind of ads are we supposed to be making in that case? Yeah, well, okay, so, so this is why it's the opposite of Facebook, because Facebook is going to run ads, and the better ad experience you create for somebody, like high click-through rates and good website conversion rates and good website speed and all the rest of it, you get rewarded with lower cost of running your ads. So that's what happens on Facebook. On YouTube, it's almost the direct opposite. Wow. So the trend of the data we saw was that as your click-through rate increases, and this is a really, I mean, anyone can look at their data and see this, 
as your click-through rate increases, your CPM increases. There's a lot of different reasons why CPM fluctuates. Like, so it could be seasonality, it could be ad fatigue, it could be just competitiveness, time of year, and many other things. But as the biggest impact on your CPM, your cost of advertising, is going to be directly related to your click-through rate. And if your click-through rate goes up, so does your CPM. And it's YouTube penalizing you for people leaving the site. <laughs> and it's not like a little nudge up. It's not like your click-through rate will double and then your CPM would just nudge up a little bit. Your CPM can triple, quadruple quite easily. And so even if with a better ad on paper, you'll find that the actual cost of advertising becomes prohibitive to get good results. And we did this for years, really. We would go and employ the best copywriters and we'd get our own team to write stuff. We'll get external copywriters to we'll bring them in say, hey, write the best ad you can. Let's try and just create really effective ads. And you'd almost see the team like high-fiving each other when it's a really high click-through rate. It would be like, oh my word, we've nailed it. And then like the ad buyers are like, yeah, we couldn't really run that ad though. It didn't really work. <laughs> and we noticed that trend a few times. Like, what's going on here? We literally have a ridiculously good website, a really good financial model, and the ads are ridiculously good. And it's still not working reliably, what's going on. And over time, that got worse because the CPMs naturally increase, as we talked about with any platform over time. So that's where we started doing on our, our analysis. And we just because we have access to so many accounts and have so much history, we could work it through. It wasn't easy to process it. But then we just saw this really clear line of saying, higher click-through rate, much higher CPM. And as a result, when you look at that, it's you start to realize we can't employ the same strategy of just trying to get people to click the video to get into the site, because that's going to screw up your campaigns. Instead, what you need to do is think about, we want less people clicking, but we want every click to almost turn into a purchase. And that changes how we run ads now. So we don't want that many people clicking. We want only the clickers. <laughs> we want those people to be buyers. And if we can get them, maximize the number of people that click to buy, that's where you can reduce that CPM by lowering your CTR, uh, so you can reduce your cost by lowering your click-through rates and still have wildly profitable campaigns, and then you can scale it up. That's kind of the secret to the data, <laughs> but I can unpack that and talk about how we might actually go about that. Yeah, I'm going to ask you how that works because I'm, I'm thinking in the direct response world, they would use things like disqualifying bad fit people. It'd be like you're saying, look, we're only going to charge you for people who make it to the bottom of a really long-form sales page. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when someone does a long-form sales page, the client usually says, oh, no one's going to read all of that. And the copywriter will say they will if they're interested yeah. in the product. You know, if you're speaking to them, they'll read every single word of it. And the ones that get to the bottom and buy, the small percentage, they're the ones we want. Is that what's going on with these ads? Does it just mean you make a longer video or that you say, hey, who this is not for somewhere in the video? You can definitely do that. We, we tried to say this is who it's not for. And then out of curiosity, more people start clicking and then exploring. Oh, that's the same. Like anytime I say to someone there's a minimum requirement, you get all the wrong people trying to, <laughs> you know, get in because yeah. it's like that saying, you know, I don't want to be in a room that'll have me, you know, or accept me or, you know, they, everyone wants to be the dumbest person in the room yeah, because they can l learn off the people who are smarter than them. And so people really want to have what they're not allowed to have. I guess that's just a human trait. Adam and Eve, it goes right back to the very first two people in the Bible. <laughs> they want the apple. Well, it's not that scarcity factor, isn't it? It's like, I can't get in. Don't eat the apple, so they eat the apple. Yeah, precisely. And so we have used that in the past, and it's not been the most effective thing. What we do find is that 
one thing you can do in your ad is actually just mention the price really early on in the ad, if, especially if it's a kind of not prohibitive. So easy, isn't it? Yeah. I get asked the question all the time, should I mention my price in my marketing or not? And then the ones who don't, they end up getting a lot of inquiries and calls and then they get upset and annoyed clients when they tell them it's $10,000 or whatever. And that all that energy to get to that point is just out the window, you know? Yeah. Well, they might be able to trick or persuade someone to buy it who wouldn't normally buy it. Like the old, uh, you know, ring up the bank and ask them how much credit you've got on your credit card thing that some seminars did. I hate, I hate that. It's so dirty. Oh, yeah. I mention the prices up front on all my stuff because I only want people who know what it is going to cost and know what, what I'm about. And that's why I do oodles and oodles of demonstrations and podcasts and case studies and answer email questions all the time. Yeah. Because I don't want the wrong fit client ever. It's not good for them and it's not good for me. So mentioning the price, that's a huge tip. So just recapping so far, we're episode 974 here. We're talking with Tom Breeze from, he's very British. He's just very quietly said viewability. <laughs> it's viewability.co.uk. That's the one, yep. Yep, is his agency. But he's very, very exclusive too. He's definitely not for everybody. You're going to have certain criteria there. But we'll talk about what you can consume of Tom's that will, anyone here listening can in a minute. Episode 974, and we're talking about YouTube and the fact that they don't like direct response ads, that the better you go with the click-through, the more it's going to cost you and the more chance the ad won't work. And that's what most people don't know about YouTube ads. But Tom knows. We're going to find out why he knows this in more depth soon and then what he did about it. But the main thing is you're just running so much volume, Tom, that you could see these trends playing out time and time again. And the chances are if we're already running ads on YouTube, we can go and have a look and see if it holds true for our own account. Yep, exactly. You can go in your own account and immediately see this trend of data as well. It it might not be so clean for you, but like there is that trend within that data. It depends on how many ads you've run and how much time and history you have of the account to just see that trend be clearer and clearer over time. So you could also have a low click-through rate and not many sales at all, right? Yeah, you might have a really low click-through rate, a really low CPM, and then you might have made a few sales and made it profitable. And then you get the advice of, oh, you need to improve that ad. And it's like, that's going to ruin your campaign. You probably worked out how to make this work. So don't follow anybody who's telling you that you could need to write ridiculously good direct response ads. Because whilst that might work for other platforms, it just won't work in the same way for YouTube. And you'll bash your head against the wall for years before you realize, actually, there's a better way of doing this. And coming to your point, James, like there's one way of like just mentioning the price one approach that we love to take is to create a slightly longer ad and do a bit more education in the ad, like actually give them valuable advice. Because that's jujitsu, right? It's leaning into why they're on the platform. Exactly. They're there to be educated, so educate them in your ad. Yeah. And by the way, this is really interesting. Earlier you said that what the direct response marketers tell you doesn't work. But if you go back in history, and some of the books on here are like 100-year-old books on copywriting. They were talking about writing ads disguised as news. They were talking about informing mm -hmm. and educating the customer. I believe the original direct response marketers were all for this. Yep. And they didn't probably have to have such big disclaimers. You know, this is an advertisement on the top of the page, but they would run a full page ad that looks like an editorial piece of content. It still works in magazines right now. I still get them in the car magazine that comes out or whatever for the, the road service. They still have ads that are really written like they're a supplied, you know, journalistic piece of content. Yeah. And they're very, very effective because they're actually informing and educating. So I believe that the old is new again. That's my point. So, yeah. And I think that the, especially the relationship can be built a lot earlier on. So 
if you as soon as you start realizing what's at your fingertips almost to say like okay hang on a second we need to have a low click through rate to lower that cpm and then have a like maximizing the sale rate on the website your website can be direct response because you've got them there you've paid for them at that point and you want to try and turn people into customers but i would say you can do all that relationship building everything you'll be in your customer journey can be put into your actual video and run that as an ad and there'll be people that will say yes well if you have longer ads on youtube it you get penalized and it costs you more money. That is true, but you nowhere near what it's like if you have a really high click-through rate. So you're getting the you're paying as you go, but you're not paying the penalty rate for taking the shortcut. Yes, exactly. There's probably a slight penalty with running a longer ad, but it's no like you can handle that one. You can't handle the, the high click through rate. So so far we're hearing longer ads, mm-hmm. educate, mention the price. Yep. Those are really good. The other, I want to ask ask you about this is a random one about frequency. Mm-hmm. There are some I don't have the option to turn off ads on YouTube, partly because I'm a marketer, right? I should be seeing what ads are running. Yeah, uh, we're weird like that. But there's some people I see all the time, like seriously see them all the time, like pretty much every time I go on there, the same people over and over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Are there ways you can control the frequency, and is it good that they're doing this, or is it bad that they're doing this? As a user, you can't control how many people get in front of you all the time. Well, in some platforms, you can report them. You know, I don't want to see this ad. precisely. (laughs) Right? You may be able to do that. I'm not sure as a user if you can do that with YouTube, actually. Probably you can in some way. I think you can on Instagram or Facebook because there's a couple of people I see I don't want to see, you know, like scumbags. And I'm like, just get out of my face. (laughs) Yeah. I don't comment on under the ad, you know, like. Some of these novice users, they're like, you know, why are you in my feed? Well, because they're paying for the platform <laughs> yeah. is why they're on your feed. But you know, I'd rather see someone else spruiking today. Thanks very much. <laughs> but yeah, so as the advertiser, though, you can control the frequency, right? Yeah, you can. Well, actually, just to say, like, isn't that the story of YouTube and any ad platform is that you are having a bad experience because people are running crappy ads to you and you're like, if you could ha- not have that any longer, you would actually enjoy the platform. And that's what YouTube are going towards. Like, Oh, look, there's many YouTube ads. I will watch the ad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, like they're so well produced. Uh, the story and narrative is compelling. And I want to know what happens next. And they're bearable and educational. Especially, I mean, I seem to be attracting ones about investing and surf-related things. I don't know why. And uh, I want to watch them mm-hmm. in some cases. I'll actually let the ad, ad run. And I'm... It sounds weird, but I'll, I'll be worried that I'll miss the thing and then I won't be able to go back to it and watch it again. So, you know, like <laughs> once you click through to the site, sometimes you can't see the ad again. Yeah, exactly. So it's got that built-in scarcity to it, which can work quite well sometimes. But how good would an ad be? Though I don't want to miss out on the ad. Yeah. So to the question you had about the frequency and, and as an advertiser, can you control that? And how do you do that in, a, in the best possible way? Yes, you can blitz people with the same ad over and over again. I think that's where people have a, the downfall is that you get really fast ad fatigue potentially, and you're just paying money that doesn't need to be paid really. Oh, so there's a point of diminishing return. It's like you yeah. spend an X, you'll get a result. Spend double X, you get X plus a little tiny bit extra, but not double. So you're wasting that extra money. And I think you might be negatively impacting the brand long-term as well, which is a lot more difficult to measure. Mm-hmm. But I know there's certain people that bombard me with ads and I've kind of made up my mind, I'm probably never going to buy anything from them just because 
the experience I thought I have them. Well, they're the ones I'm talking about. Yeah. Like I'm at the point, like just get out of my face. There's no chance I'll ever buy from these people. And yeah. especially if I, I know about them. But So you have that negative impact. You know, being more aggressive and more in my face doesn't make me want to buy your stuff more. It just makes me dislike you more and more and more. <laughs> Yeah. Then I'll be talking about on my podcast, you know. Yeah. But then in their heads, they'll probably be like, "Well, you've got to polarize your audience and so make them take action." It's like, good luck with that. Yeah, but these are the dinosaurs. Yeah. They're the ones with the red headlines screaming at you and shouting, shout marketing, and they'll be like, you know, you need twenty impressions or whatever. Like, I always call this the baby fur seal marketing approach. You know, they're just clubbing baby fur seals to make jackets. <laughs> you know, it's not nice. Well. And then that's the kind of the thing. I think there's a lot of people that are like, well, I want to make a fast buck and I'm going to promote really hard until I kind of get ad fatigue and I ruin the account. And we actually, funny enough, we've seen that not with our clients, but we've seen it where clients will try and push things way too hard. And there comes a point at which like they can have a really good 45 to 90 days. But after that point, performance drops off, not just for the next promotion, but performance drops off for a long time because everyone's like, I've had enough of that brand. And it's very difficult to overcome that without rebuilding that relationship with your audience again. So there's a, there's a balance there. You can have like for a couple of our clients. So like, we worked out that for every launch, we'd sell about 17,000 products. That's our kind of average point price point of sort of volume over time. They managed to cram half of those sales. And we, this was not our way of doing things, but they crammed in half of their sales. So about like about 9,000 sales in 45 days. And as a result, they found it very difficult to come back from that. They find like costs have massively risen on them and the performance has, has dropped quite drastically because their audience just doesn't want to see them any longer. And so there's a balance, like sometimes you can push really hard. And if you're doing, let's say, for example, you're doing a live event, fine. If it's a yearly thing, you can get away with that. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. It reminds me of the product launch formula style of marketing where the marketing term that we used to use in the dealership was bringing the market forward. Mm. You're basically just bringing the market forward and you're capturing all the sales that you're going to make, but you're compressing them all into a short space, overloading your customer support, giving yourself nightmares for the weeks leading up to it. Yeah. And then you're left with this big lull, this lag, and then it turns into desperation. And then in many cases, uh, you know, they end up crawling up to the front doorstep, tapping on the door, kind of, can you help me? I'm on my last stand. Like, oh my God, like, yeah. let's get you recurring subscription consistent model. So what I'm hearing is don't be too greedy and try and crank it up. And when we had the SEO agency, if we were getting great success for a client, often they would try and buy bigger packages and want to get a bigger result fast. I'm like, hey, listen, you know what? Getting a lot of extra links and pushing your account is just going to get it banned. You know, you'll just de-index your site. So you'll have a great result until you have no result. Mm. It's just going to be very bad from there. So how do you know how much to ramp a campaign? It's a very difficult balance to know at what point are you pushing it too hard. It depends on that kind of that approach you take. So let's say, for example, you, are, you do have a live event, then you can push things a little harder. But then if you've got a yearly event, you could probably push things really hard mm. and then chalk up a lot of that experience or kind of that activity to branding for next year, so to speak. But you're going to have to do a lot of relationship building for the rest of the year to buy yourself the opportunity to then advertise big again. We don't really work with those sorts of businesses where they want to go big for a couple of months and then go quiet for the rest of the year. It's very difficult to run those sorts of campaigns. It's far easier to find that cadence of saying, all right, we're at this much spend per day. It's bringing in this much profit. We'll nudge it up. 
But what what will happen in your, in your ad account is if you nudge it up by let's say ten to twenty percent of your daily budget, and the results start dropping quite heavily, normally that's a very good indicator. Like, oh, okay, cool, we might be at the threshold for this level here, and we're gonna have to pare back a little bit to have consistency. But that's normally what we're trying to find with clients is to say, let's find that maximum point at which it's consistent. And then we'll slowly start edging it by trying to create better content, better ads, better like website and things like that. But it will, we'll try and find that maximum we can roll out so it's just consistent all year round. And that's the approach we tend to take. It's not easy to find that balance and clients always want more and faster and they want results yesterday, <laughs> which is just the nature of the beast. But um, yeah, we've got to kind of educate them on that. That's like- why I don't have an agency, Tom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, uh, uh, it's almost like the education of staying in your kind of maximum point is to say like an athlete you can't push an athlete too much at the wrong time well most of them overtrain don't they mm. they get an injury and then they're, they're out you know yeah exactly it's the same with anything it's the if you push too hard you're going to have consequences as a result and those consequences are never very positive i don't think like a racing car push too hard you, you mm. come off like to finish first, first you have to finish. I think it's a great rally saying. I can't remember whose quote that is. That's great. I like that. Yeah. What happens if there's a problem? Like, talk to me about conflict resolution to fix YouTube ads. If you run into trouble with, uh, is this about compliance or something else? Well, no. So I think like the conflict resolution piece is to say there are three people in this relationship, as with any ad platform, but no one ever thinks of it like that. So most people feel like there's my customer there. Here's my website over here. Let's create an ad and let's get them to buy something. But you've always got to bear in mind that the platform is also there and set this whole thing up. That's the ecosystem which we build upon. It's like it's stunning how many people ignore that thing. I, I even totally. you know I popularized the term own the race course about this. Be aware if you're playing on someone else's platform and they change the rules, that's their prerogative. I mean, yeah. this, it's fascinating watching people telling Twitter what they can and can't do, you know, and we're watching a different, you know, a change in governance, I suppose, with the change of ownership. But ultimately, if it's not your platform, you're going to have to bear in mind that someone might change the rules and it may not favour you anymore and there may or may not be much recourse. One of the complaints I hear from people in my own community Mm. is something terrible happened to one of my – he's such a beautiful guy, this guy. He's a client of mine. He's on Facebook and someone hacked – his ad manager account, they demoted him, they took away his permissions, and then they started sending inappropriate images through his private message to get that channel blocked so that now he couldn't even contact support. Oh, my word. And then they racked up a, a like significant ad spend on his account. So they knew exactly what they were doing. And you can't just pop down to their office and have a chat with them. You know, like it's really hard to solve these problems. But I imagine... If you can set protocols and do certain things to stay out of trouble, that would be number one, right? Avoid getting in the naughty box. Yeah, well, just knowing that this is a layered approach as well. So if you're running out on a platform, the platform has a lot to say about how you run those ads. And that's fair enough. Of course. So I think of it like we're like a woodpecker on a tree. The tree is going to be growing regardless of what the woodpecker is doing. And the woodpecker can... (laughs) complain as much as it wants <laughs> but it's like you've built a little home here and you've chosen where you built your home and the tree's going to have its own prerogative it's, it's doing whatever it wants to do and it's got its own objectives to grow and from time to time the tree has problems as well so if another tree kind of bashes into it or if there's a takes its shade you know yeah exactly it's got to find a new way of growing and it's 
regardless they don't give a crap about what the woodpecker is up to it's like you built your home here that's great but i'm building my own thing so think of it like with facebook everyone built their little home on facebook so to speak of like here's my ad campaigns about your facebook have got thousands and thousands of advertisers in that one tree but from time to time the tree doesn't have sunlight or the tree has a problem with ios and privacy so there's another layer of like the sun or like natural resources can also be considered like well there's government government uh, requirements or you know hacks yeah, external precisely. hacks all these sort of things happen so there's all these things that are happening that's like if you're the woodpecker and you realize that okay cool here's what the tree wants from me or here's how the tree is likely to behave then you can start to be like, okay, now I'm a bit savvier because I know as an advertiser, my, my customers over here, here's what makes them tick. I can get that communication in front of them and make this work potentially. But now I do need to just pay attention to what the platform wants, or I do need to pay attention to what Facebook or YouTube and how they're different because a YouTube tree is a very different to a Facebook tree. And so it's understanding why that is the case, what to do about it. And that's where we've started to see these trends of data to say, now, if you are to consider what your users are wanting, what YouTube is wanting, you would create ads very differently. And that's what we've been doing with great success. But it's not to say that it's been an easy journey. It's been actually quite challenging to try and work out how that comes about. That's why we built some software to identify how to create that content in the very best way. Because really, coming back to that, the ad structure we tend to push for nowadays is to say, we want to create ads that are informative. If you're good at being entertaining, great add that into, but there's no prerequisite. You don't have to be funny or really engaging. Um, just most people are there for the content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> James, you can be funny all day long. That's all good. <laughs> and then the um, and then from that perspective, when you have created like ridiculously good content, content that people are kind of holding onto that video and they love the intro, they love the middle section, they're kind of enjoying that content theme. Then what you find you have is like, you're right, you've got an ad that works for direct response activity. You have an ad that you could run and long form content, good information, good sales pitch that runs as a YouTube ad, but it doesn't take much to tweak it ever so slightly to then say, well, that's a great organic piece of content as well. And then you have the best of both worlds because you've got a video ad that works really well if you promote it to generate your customers profitably and it fits with the ecosystem. But you've also got this organic video. If it's done in the right way, you can release it as an organic video. And then you have this ability to get huge amounts of views to video content that's very good quality and people love. And then YouTube are loving you because you've got a video that is an organic video and an ad, and it just grows really quickly and it builds the brand. And that's what kind of YouTube are looking for. They want brand advertisers that run ads that don't get many clicks because then they keep everyone on the platform. And you're just playing that same game. You're saying, great, well, I'm going to create great content that has a small number of clicks, but most of those people turn into customers. But I'm going to build my brand awareness. I'm going to build my fame as a personal brand if you want to. And all of a sudden, you don't have to play this game of saying, I'm going to crack YouTube, but it's going to take two years worth of organic content and I've got to post twice a week. Now you can probably create, what, three to 10 videos or something, work out the right content that works really well for your customers, promote that, and you have the best of both worlds very quickly indeed. And so that's the strategy that we employ now is to say, yes, we want to be running ads and scaling like crazy, but get that foundation set to begin with, like learn what it is your customers and what YouTube love. And when you get that in place, then you can really scale on the platform with a lot more consistency. So yeah, that's been a kind of the, the focus for us for the last, like, I think coming on two years, but really heavily in the last year. So hang on a minute. Can we just take our very best content that's organic and turn it into an ad? 
Yes, surprisingly, even if it doesn't have a call to action. And that could grow our channel faster so that we can have more people to then put a more direct response organic video on? Yes. So this is the crazy thing. So we um, started working with some channel owners that had maybe 25 plus videos in their channel. They were good at content. I mean, if, if you're listening in clients, you're amazing because you create amazing <laughs> content. <laughs> and most of them aren't, wouldn't profess to be ridiculously good advertisers or marketers. They're out there creating courses, creating content. Their users love them, but then they might click back to the website. And for a direct response advertiser like myself, I look at it and I'm like, it's a bit of a mess, but let's see what happens. <laughs> um, and um, we started just promoting some of their organic content. No good call to actions. There was probably like a lead gen offer at some point, but it wasn't well put together because it was like 99% focused just purely on giving good content. And we put a bit of ad spend behind some of those content. And do you know what? When we did it, we were like, we're going to grow your YouTube channel. And that was priority number one. And really the only priority, like it should be with a priority, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but the um, one thing we thought is like, well, if we're going to promote this, it takes us about half an hour to set up the tracking. We might as well do it. But it was a, as a very secondary thought at the time. So like this strategy builds YouTube channels. It doesn't get customers. And we put this tracking in place just out of like, we want to report as much as we can back to the client. And we noticed that the ROAS was about three to four X on this first campaign that we ran. So a website that wasn't well optimized, it just had a load of different products in different places, no real lead and nurturing sequence. It was just products of around about $50 to $100. And these would be new people finding the channel because we'd be just promoting the videos. And they would love the content so much that they almost go on their own journey to find out where they can go buy something. And it worked so well <laughs> that we were like, how far can we push this? And unfortunately, you can't really scale up like crazy. You could probably max out around about $100 per day on any video. So then the job just becomes, well, how many videos can we promote and which ones work? But what we were amazed about is that we did this for a few clients. Their kind of websites were not geared up for like funnels or anything like this. It was just literally, it might be like a teachable website with a sales page. And it was kind of semi-written relatively well, but nothing crazy. But when we saw profitable results came through, we're like, oh my word, we're doing two things at once. We're growing this channel faster than it's ever grown before. And we're making this profitable. And we, it's just like a, a positive cycle that's happening constantly. So that's where we started shifting our attention to say, now let's work out how we can mix direct response with organic, promote that. And that's where we're at today is to say, now we're getting much more data because we built some software to understand exactly what content does get really high retention that does get really good social engagement, that does get people clicking to the site. And then if we are able to find out what content's already working, if it's good quality, we can promote that immediately, even if the call to action is not great. But then we can use the insights from the software to tell us exactly how to improve that content as well. So we say, we know your customers love this, but the direct response activity to this is actually pretty terrible. Let's, let's do that video again, or do a, a variation of that video and now put a better system in place to get people to click back to the website and go buy, which means that we're just optimizing what they've already got and bettering their best videos currently. And um, yeah, that's what we've been focusing on heavily, that software to isolate the best videos they currently have and then improve those very, very quickly. So two things there, Tom. One is the description part underneath the video. Would you say that's still critical? It is. So I, I, I should probably take a a kind of a caveat to everything I'm saying. I'm not an organic YouTube guy yet. I'm getting very good at it very quickly. But you're talking about magnifying organic here. 
Yes, exactly. So I've come at it purely from a content perspective so far. There's no good tools out there that tells you how to create good content. And that's why we built Badurk, because we're like, we need to know how we actually create this long form content that gets really high retention that people love. And that's what we've been building. So it's now we're at a point where we can analyze this. So I come at it from purely from a advertiser's perspective, like how can we make more money and grow a YouTube channel and build a bigger brand through amazing content. But let's say that you, let's say you blow up their channel. Like I know everyone wants a hundred thousand subscribers to their channel, right? Mm. Great. That gives you more audience, but how are the people actually ending up becoming worthwhile? Yeah. So they'll end up watching the video content and then clicking to go to the site. And so there might be a description link at that point. So it's still important. Yeah. But there can be links within your video. So you can have like cards or you can have end screens that will click through to the site. But in the description area, that's also another place to tell people to go to, to find out more. Well, I suppose it's like if this video, for example, this podcast, it'll be up on YouTube and you've mentioned viewability.co.uk. You've just mentioned Badurk. You better spell that now. <laughs> yeah, it says B-I-D-U-R-K.com. Yeah, there's a story behind the name. Can I tell the story about my involvement with this? Yeah, go for it, yeah. So Tom and I talk and he asked me to test out this idea that he's got the software and we gave him access to my YouTube channel. At the time, my YouTube channel was called Superfast Business. So we had like five and a half thousand subscribers, which is very, very few, and about 2,000 videos, which is a lot. So I, I'm like, yes, Tom, please have a look because I want to know how are we so crap at YouTube organic? Like <laughs> what is going on? And Tom sent this tool across and, and zapped our site and pulled in all the information and, and then he basically ran me through the report of what's going on. And he asked me, you know, what do I like about it? What do I not like? You know, what do I want to know? And I was saying, Tom, I want to know. It's great to know which videos are great because obviously Tom has just said he's going to get the very best videos. He's going to ask us to make new, better versions of them and then he's going to run ads to them because they're going to be the easiest way to build subscribers. That makes sense. But also I'm like, Tom, which ones of my videos are the most crap, like just killing my channel, the ones that I should never, ever make again? And I was able to get, I took one page of notes when I was chatting to Tom and I was able to get a sense of what doesn't work. And some of, the, some of the findings were consistent and surprised me. For example, the negative slant titles sucked <laughs> versus positive slant titles. And we just converted our super fast business channel into James Shramko Shorts. We were able to rename it and save the channel. And we're only putting shorts on that channel. My full YouTube channel, James Shramko, the new one is just for long form content, right? We've separated that because at the time that seemed like everyone who's mixing them together is saying that it's diluting their channel, right? We can ask, I'll ask you about that in a minute. But we were able to save the channel and we put some of our shorts with positive titles and they've now, we've now gone from like 30 or 50 views, which was just miserable, to like 1,500 views or whatever of these little shorts with better titles. So the titles and the thumbnails was a huge finding. But the really interesting ones were where we get the clicks, but they just drop away from the video. So the title didn't match the delivery of the content or ones where they weren't getting many clicks, but they'd stay all the way to the end. So the content was good, but it was just really poorly named. And so I learned a lot about what's going on with my content. And I said to Tom, this thing is like an x-ray machine. And that's how I think of this thing. It's like 
when you break a bone, like you break your ribs or whatever, mm. <laughs> you can get an x-ray and they'll tell you, you know, within a degree of accuracy what's going on. And then you can better manage around knowing. So I was actually so, at the time the report was so blunt for what we're, you know, basically we're just not getting a great result for how much effort and content we'd put there that, you know, we started our new channel. But since we've saved it and now we're just pruning and trimming but I know exactly which videos to get rid of and to turn off or not make public. And I know when I'm creating stuff, what to focus on to get a better result. In a combination between that software and talking to you, Tom, and then working closely with other people like Pat Flynn, who's absolutely blitzing it with his organic content, and Scott Space, who's blitzing it, and Sorella Moore, all these people doing the organic thing really well. But this tool basically says, this is why your organic traffic is going well. And these are the ones you should make into ads. And it's brilliant. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, the great thing we found about it is that like, we tried to find software out there that could help us identify this information anyway. And YouTube analytics was pretty much terrible. You can analyze an individual video quite well, but then getting the data for every single video and working out, right, which video is likely to get someone to watch five minutes of my content or eight minutes of my content. And why is it that people will watch this type of content and not this type of content? So that's the, the tool is able to tell you really quickly, like what content is really strong. So you can keep on doing more of that. And also saying this is really strong content, but this version you did, it's not a very good intro for your standards. You could do a much better intro and have a lot higher retention. And that's kind of the big piece of YouTube is no one really digs deep into that because everyone's like, no, oh, it's hard to coach that. And hard to tell people about that. And it's all a bit wishy washy, where we're like, no, we want the data, hard data, tell us what to do, improve things. And most tools out there are designed to say, well, this is a split testing thumbnail tool, or this is a metadata tool to tell you what to put in your description area, your titles. And that's great. And as people cover that all day long, but they're one dimensional in a way. You're just not seeing the whole picture. Yeah. It's like saying, here's how to SEO the, um, or like the metadata of a YouTube video. And it's like, well, that's all good and all. And like, what time to release it? And I'm like, that's great. I'm just going to create ridiculously good content. But what video are we releasing? <laughs> What's in the video? Yeah, I'm going to create ridiculously good content. And then I bet you I'll beat the game. And that's the case, right? YouTube want really good content. They don't care really about the SEO of it. So in summary, you're saying YouTube want ridiculously good content whether it's organic or ads, your software will help you know if you've already got a channel, which of your content is ridiculously good content and which isn't. Mm -hmm. And then you can make good choices based on that information. Can people actually use the software now? Yeah. So on badurk.com, you can go in there and you can get a, we're doing free x-rays right now. So we're not going to do free x-rays forever, but um, we're doing free x-rays right now. So you can log in, you can connect your account. So we don't need access at all. And then um, yeah, you run it. And we'll then jump on a call with you and talk through the findings. And yeah, it's always so insightful. There's so much information. You, there's loads of testimonials on there from people that, like yourself, but other people as well, mm. who have spent like an hour with either myself or my team on a call and just immediately get like a game plan together that can say, right, here's exactly what to go do to improve my channel. But also it's, there's so many people that create this YouTube content who create ridiculously good content, but they just don't get the eyeballs. Mm. And it's that they're waiting for the breakthrough. They're waiting for YouTube to pick them up, trying all these different things to try and make it happen. And they know not to go and get hacks and that type of thing. But they're kind of, oh, when is my time? Because I've been doing this for two years now and I can't keep on 
doing more and more content and just not getting any results of like view counts or subscribers. It's very, very common. Yes, yeah, so common. You know, like in, even in my case, I produce a lot of content and the podcast has got a good audience. I love my podcast audience. Thank you for listening to this podcast, by the way, while, while you're listening now. I've been doing it for a long time. I know I'm not that good, but I'm really going to improve. In my mind, when I hit a thousand episodes, I'm just going to be able to crank it up a notch because I'll have done my apprenticeship and I'm ready to go. So look out. <laughs> I've now rebranded across to my personal name and our socials are actually improving. We're listening to people like Tom. We're looking at the x-rays. We're doing better thumbnails. We're doing better content. We're injecting more stories into things. We're educating in a better way. Like I want to improve. I'm just getting started. And I see a lot of people getting great results and good for them. And some of them spend big money on it and have great production values and uh, or they just have quite a lot of natural talent and uh, charisma and all the cool things that would make them get a lot of views. So it is an interesting game, but the summary is it's worth being on YouTube. It's worth doing well. You told me in about 30 minutes more than I've been able to figure out for like eight or nine years on YouTube, Tom. So that's, <laughs> that, that was what was really compelling. That's why I wanted to have this conversation to share with my audience so that we can let people know if you, if you want to do the YouTube thing, stop trying to run direct response ads, make incredible content and then run ads to that content. That, so if it's good enough to be good on organic, it's probably a candidate for an ad. Or if you have a really good ad that's educational and a and great piece of content, it could be organic as well. Yeah. And then if you can pull those things together, so you have the best of direct response and the best of organic content. So you're going to create the intro that gets people hooked in and you're going to deliver ridiculously good content. And then you're going to have a good call to action at the end of it. And you might even mention the price in there. You're going to lower that CTR. You're going to lower that CPM. But you're going to maximize the number of people that are buying on the website. And you have the best of both worlds because you've got an ad that works really well and an organic video that's going to be there forever for your customers. And so you have the kind of the organic exposure. And because you're putting ad spend behind it, you're going to have hundreds of thousands of views to those videos as well, really high retention views. And you're going to have that potential to get picked up by YouTube a lot faster and see your whole YouTube channel grow really quickly. And that's where we feel like we're really close to finally cracking the piece to say, there's still some... I's the dot and T's the cross, and we're learning so much information. It's great. We've done some like audits or kind of x-rays of many, many top YouTubers, like from like kind of like Alex Hormoses of the world through to Pat Flynn and that type of thing as well. We've kind of got so much content about what works and what doesn't work that gives us this unique perspective of saying, ah, this is how you create content. Well, you can benchmark. Yeah, exactly. Like you basically, you know, it's not, you're not guessing. That's the big difference between someone who's an, a competent expert versus a bullshit artist. <laughs> You've actually got the information. Yeah. It's not hard to be a savant when you have all the data because you know exactly how it works. Well, this is why I profess not to be an organic guy because every organic, well, not every, but a lot of organic advice is out there. I look at the data, I'm like, well, that doesn't add up. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm, I'm just waiting to get better at organic <laughs> before I can kind of say, well, that's not true. That just doesn't add up because data just does not support that theory. And that's always been the benefit I've had with advertising is because I've always had the data in front of me. I can just, it's just black and white. It's, that's what it is. There's a little bit of interpretation, but really at the end of the day, you've got data behind every decision you've made. The same with organic now is I can see exactly what works and what doesn't work. And then people say these kind of wild things. There's like, here's how to get your YouTube channel growing faster than ever and give this advice. I'm like, well, I've seen information here that's directly kind of 
opposes that perspective. So I'm just kind of like doubling down on our area and saying, we're going to create the best damn content we can and keep on improving that for our clients and for everyone that does an x-ray. So it's just clear as day as what to do to make better content. And then those best videos you've got, the top three to five videos, put some ad spend behind those. It doesn't have to be a huge amount. You can start at like $5 a day. You can scale that up. You can go quite big. But the more content you cover off, and when you get it really good, you're going to have like this kind of, um, I would say this asset of your YouTube channel that's just growing really quickly, but generating your customers profitably at the same time. That's kind of the dream scenario. And it's happening for a lot of people right now. So yeah, it's, it's exciting. It's really exciting. I feel like we've covered it before, but it'd be worth asking you while you're here, you know, the, the formula for making good content. I, I know you've got a favorite word of yours, educate. Is it possible to just share the acronym, what it stands for? Yeah, well, it actually went through a, a slight tweak recently because of everything we've been doing. But um, seems like it's added a letter. It's added a letter at the end. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> you can't trick me, Tom. I, it's now turned into educates. <laughs> yeah, and added an S at the end of it. So, um, educates is an acronym, and every letter obviously means that there's a word attached to it. So, A stands for the aim, like your customer's aim, and we've got to start with the positives first. Like you mentioned with your thumbnail. What is it they actually want? Speak to that really quickly because that's really important. And you can't dilly-dally with content with an organic video. The quicker you get into the content, the more attention you'll have. And you can sell once you've started teaching. So we had a, um, a drumming client of ours who teaches people how to drum online, massive channel. And we did the calculations. We're like, look, every time you start talking, people start leaving. And every time you start playing the drums, people hang around. Wow. Just start playing the drums at the start of the video. And he was like, yeah, do you know what? I've been thinking that for a long time. And this is, he's, I mean, he's got over 300,000 subscribers and a massive channel. And it was nice to be able to me to just go in and within like five minutes say, this is a trend. And he's like, oh yeah, I've been thinking about that. It's like, okay, cool. The software's working. So the aim is to say, right, start off with what your customer's really wanting to hear about, but get into content as quickly as possible. Yep. The D stands for difficulties. So this is the point you start peppering in this information, this kind of the sales pitch as you're teaching. So difficulty might be like, what is it standing in the way? What's the problems that your customer's currently having? What's frustrating them? What's kind of like the negative impact of all of that as well? So you're starting to align with them. They're like, oh yeah, hang on a second. This actually is really useful for me. This is kind of a video that's going to be very helpful. And I'm aligning with, it sounds like you know what my difficulties are. I kind of trust you a little bit more now, which is great. The U stands for undertaking. So it used to be understanding, and now it's undertaking, which is a similar. But undertaking is to say, you want to explain to your customer at some point that this is why your brand exists, why you do it, what you do. Because they want to have a sense of belonging and, and know that you have values. And whatever your values are, you want to be really clear with what you stand for, what you stand against, because people want to align with that. Really, what you've done is with the aim, difficulty, and understanding, you're giving your brand promise. You're saying, here's what you're going to get in the way that you like it. So the undertaking is like, here's my values. Here's why I built this business in the first place. Here's what it stands for and what it stands against. And you do it subtly, but it, it means that you start to seed the idea that you can introduce your brand and introduce your products or um, at that point, because it's just a natural conversation. But you've also by telling them your story of, it doesn't have to be your story, but it could be like a story of a customer and what they were going through, or it's just someone you found that was going through a, a struggle and that's why you built something to help them. It shows a little bit more about your personality, like what, you, what you're all about. And again, those values means that people want to align with you, which introduces the C of educates, which is credibility. So now you've got to say, 
I went on this journey to try and fix this and it just turned into a business. And our credibility is here's why I'm qualified to go on this journey. Here's my bit of my background. It doesn't have to, again, I'm talking about, could be a couple of sentences. It doesn't have to be long at all. But you'll explain to people like, okay, look, this is what I've done. This is why I was qualified to go on this journey, try and fix this problem that's never been fixed before. And it also means you get the opportunity to tell people the, the real root cause to the problem that's never really been tackled before. So like we were talking about today, mm. the real root cause of bad YouTube advertising is this relationship between your click-through rate and your CPM. As soon as you notice that, you're like, I can't do ads in the same way with that knowledge. That's the root cause why this isn't working. Once you know it. And also it means that people are going to appreciate you're the one that told them this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've been doing direct response YouTube ads for eight years, <laughs> uh, maybe nine years. I can't remember now, but we've been doing a long, long time. So you, you can trust in, hopefully people can trust in my opinion around that, or not even my opinion, but the data around it. But that's the kind of, you position yourself in that way. And you're doing like aim, difficulty, undertaking credibility within, I'm talking about like sometimes 20 seconds. You can turn this into a bit of a spiel for your business anyway. So if you learn those lines or you learn like a way you phrase it, it becomes very useful for any scenario in the future. Like if you get brought up on stage, you can quickly say something or whatever it is, if you, you have those opportunities. And then what you're doing is you have an action plan. You have your methodology, your unique method, a method of doing things. So that's the A action plan of educates. So you want to make sure that all the education you've been teaching people fits into a model of some sort. It fits into a, a system like educates <laughs> or whatever it might be. And um, that you see a lot of people have like visual models. Brendan Bouchard used to always have like a flip chart and then would have post-it notes over sections of it that would like reveal over time. Things like that are great because it means that, oh, there's a proprietary system. There's something that I can buy into here. And when someone has a plan, it means that they've been through it a few times before. They, they know what they're doing. And again, it feeds into that credibility. But the, the, what we found really, and as we kind of brought this in from VSLs more than anything else, and we kind of done a lot of analysis on what makes a, a video sales letter work. One of the things we do nowadays is to say, once we've unpacked the action plan and, and taught the, the viewer something really useful, and um, so they feel like they've got what they came for on the video, we then go into the T, which is the tweak. So it used to be teach, but it's the, uh, or testimonials, but now it's um, tweak. So what we're going to do is say, this action plan that we developed, it worked, it was really efficient, but it had a slight drawback. And normally, and there's always a drawback, right? There's always something that means it's not perfect just yet. So it may be that it doesn't work as fast as it could do. Maybe it doesn't scale up as easily as you wanted it to. So let's say, for example, you built this action plan, you built this system that worked really well, but it worked on a one-to-one -one basis and absolutely got all the results you wanted it to do. It fixed that root cause, it got the problem, but you can only really deliver on a one-to-one -one basis. Moving it into then a group basis or a more scalable model was the next challenge for you. So then it was like the tweak aspect, like you had to tweak the action plan to make it not better, not more efficient, because it, it has to be very efficient from day one, but it has to be, maybe you can make it faster or cheaper or scale up to more people. Something along those lines, which is not a, it's not a drawback that's going to stop the sale going through. It's a realization that it wasn't ready to go to market just yet. And so you needed to make the tweak. And by doing that, you reiterate your values again. You're saying, I could have sold it at that point, but I didn't. I didn't want to because I wanted to fix this next piece. And that builds that trust element with people as well. If you highlight the, it's called a pratfall, if you highlight the slight weakness. The damaging admission. Yeah, exactly. People then build trust with you and it gives you the opportunity to say, and we fix that thing too. So then it, you want to show how you fix that. And that turns into the E of educates which is where you go for emergence. So you're saying now, 
look at all this success we've had as a result of this. Like it's blown up. We're glad we held back and fixed like those little bits because now look, we're in the press. We get to speak on stage everywhere in the world. We're on all the podcasts. You build up that second wave of credibility at that point. And all that time, you've kind of been moving more and more into your sales pitch really more than anything else. Now, the sales pitch for your YouTube video needs to be short, concise, because you are probably still doing more selling on the website. But with your stack at the end, which is what educates the S is the stack, you want to tell people like, right, here's what it is. Here's the price of it. So again, kind of disqualifying people just by the nature of the price of it. And then you want to kind of talk about if there's any bonuses or guarantees included, but it's quick. You need to not do a full-blown sales pitch on the actual video if you want it to be a good organic video in the future, because you don't want to be like really hard sales pitch. You'll get kind of the negative comments around it and that sort of thing on YouTube. But if it's just an extension of what value you've already provided to people and the extension of the story, that's what you want it to feel like. But it's like, oh, look, if you want to go and find out more, we do have this product. It's this price. It comes with a load of guarantees here. It comes with a load of bonuses as well to make sure you actually get this problem fixed forever. This is the place to go. And then on your website, you're selling at that point. So then you have like a sales page at that point. It doesn't need to be too long, actually, because you've done most of the selling on YouTube. But now you know the only people who are clicking at that point, know the price point, have built a relationship with you, know your value is really strong that you've already provided in the video. And this next sale is a continuation of the training they've already had with you. And that is a really seamless way of creating organic content that works really well and an ad that works really well that turns people into customers. So it just makes the whole process a lot easier. And um, we've just been consulting with Mindvalley as well. And um, they do a ton of videos in a very similar format already, but they didn't necessarily approach it from this standpoint. We did an x-ray on their channel a long time ago, and they took um, so many of the little findings and added to their VSLs, and they've had a really good improvement with their campaigns, which is fantastic to hear. And a lot of the YouTube videos they'll run will be actually long YouTube videos and good story, good content with a sales pitch at the end of it. So it's already happening. People are already realizing this is the way to do things through lots of their own internal development and trying to work out what works and what doesn't work. It's just so nice to be able to see this come to life and say, right, this is the way to do it. The educates model is a very good starting point. Tweak it to fit your personality and doesn't have to be done in exactly the same order every time. You just want to create the best content you can, put a good sales pitch together at the end of it, and then you get the best of both worlds. Wow, this is where you dropped the mic. <laughs> that was good. I'll, <laughs> I'll give you an, a, a cheer for that one. <laughs> the super high value. You know, it's refreshing to hear you say that, Tom, because maybe oh, 10 years ago I was teaching people to do documentaries. Mm. It's like the silent way to sell. It's just educate, proof. It's got a lot of the elements of educates there because you're – establishing the story, their values, how they're equipped to help you, how they've helped others, what sort of results they got. It's emotional. It's instructive. You know, it's no mistake that people like Tony Robbins are publishing documentaries on the major platforms. That, that You know, and this is the infomercial guy. Mm. So you're seeing this happen. So thank you for sharing the new version of Educates. This is so laden with great information. We're going to put this up on episode 974 at jamesramco.com. Someone in my team will meticulously condense all of this down into a, a very readable PDF. We'll put all the, the points there. We'll spell it out. You're welcome to access that on the website. Of course, I'd recommend you check out Tom Breeze. Wherever you see him, the guy's obviously a superstar. He's already just name-dropped Alex Hormosi and uh, Mind Valley. So he's obviously the guy, right? I know this anyway. I've been 
How long have we been working together, Tom? We worked it out the other day. It was like seven years or something. I think it's just coming up to seven years, which is, which is it doesn't feel like it's been that long, which is a compliment to you, I think. <laughs> oh, and, and look, it's a privilege to me. Yeah, it's amazing how much we've achieved. I just get a box seat on all this. So I'm watching this all happening in real time. You know, it's so interesting that at this point in your field, you're like a veteran. You're like the superstar veteran and just getting started. You know, I can see where this is going. It's exciting. This is a little longer than ep- normal episode and I appreciate it because, I mean, this is the kind of one we might run an ad to. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> Definitely. But anyway, I uh, appreciate you coming on. Let's see, uh, maybe you'll come back and share with us your next level of findings from all the next batch of x-rays you're going to be doing and talk about what's working on organic because I know that's really interesting to our uh, audience as well. I would love if to. You, basically, they're becoming interchangeable, which is exciting. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you, James, for having me. Yeah, it's been great to be on here. All right. This is James Schramko. 